0: Uh, before we start, let's pray. So, Father God, uh, we thank you for all that you are. We thank you that you are Lord above all things. And Lord, as I speak, may my words be yours, and may my heart be yours, Lord. And would you show us where you are leading us? In Jesus' name, amen. So, here we are at the start of a new teaching session. As I said earlier, we're looking at the lesser-known women of the Bible, And before we go there, I just wonder, I'm going to ask this question, have you or are you in a situation where you can't see the way ahead, where things look impossible, but you know that you have to press on? So we're looking today at uh, Deborah and Jael, which is a story you can find in the book of Judges, which is in the Old Testament. Um, We're looking at chapter 4, and we will go through the whole chapter, so brace yourself, we'll get there. Um, And um, just to put it into context, if you might not know about the Judges. So in the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis, we're looking at the birth of the Israel community. So there's Abraham and his son Isaac, and his son Jacob, and then his 12 sons, uh, who are the 12 tribes of Israel, or they become that. And then they end up in Egypt and they are in slavery. And they're in slavery for a number of years. And then as we go through the early books of the New Test- Old Testament, sorry, um, they, are, they flee from Egypt. The Lord leads them out into the desert where they are, are there for a number of years because they are, have this cycle of disobedience and then obedience. And then eventually they get to the promised land. So the Lord has promised them A land that they may inhabit for their own. And one of the things he says, um, you know, I want you to purge the land of the evil that's in there. And so they get to the promised land. Moses dies at the borders because he's been told he can see it but not enter it. And a man called Joshua picks up the mantle and leads the Israelites into the promised land. And they are supposed to go and kill the other tribal nations. It's a bit brutal, but God wanted his land to be pure and holy for his pure and holy people to live in. Only um, Joshua and his sidekick Caleb managed to do as they're told. The rest of the Israelites, maybe not so much. I don't know if they got tired, they got bored, or they just couldn't be bothered. But they didn't do as the Lord asked them. So they are now in this position where... um, Joshua has died. They're in a land where there are other, the, the um, previous residents of the land are still there, and they're trying to inhabit this land. And so um, the Lord appoints people over them, who are judges, to rule them, because the Lord is still the Lord. And so at this point, he's still governing his people through the judges. Um, and the thing about Israel is they go through this cycle. So the book of Judges starts when they are of okay, and it just spirals out of control. So by the end of Judges, it's a bit of a mess, and it's quite a violent book. Uh, there's a lot of bloodshed and there's a lot of evil going on, and so it's an interesting story. Um, but anyway, that's where we're up to, and so today we're looking at uh, Deborah, and she is the fourth judge that's listed in the book of Judges. So we're in chapter four, and so I'm just going to start. Um, start reading we have Paul on sound today and visuals because I'm up here speaking so can we just give Paul a big round of applause because he's stepped in he's our honorary Oasis member we don't usually have men joining us but Paul is a superstar so thank you Paul anyway I'm just going to read we're going to read it in chunks and then have a look so again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord now that Ehud one of the previous judges was dead so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazel. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hagayim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, a wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at that time. And so we see that we're in this cycle where uh, the Israelites, they're caught up, they're crying out to the Lord. So it usually goes something like living in peace, they wander off, they start sinning, they, there's evil around, they then become oppressed. They then cry out to the Lord for them to rescue them. The Lord rescues them, brings them back to a place of peace, and then so the cycle just keeps going round and round and round because somehow they never quite learn where the best place to be is. So they've cried out to the Lord. and Deborah is the judge at this time. So the first thing that we notice about Deborah is, in fact, that she's a woman. You know, in biblical times, women weren't given um, great press at all. They were the underdog. They were usually second-class citizens, and, and they're just to, you know, be useful. But she's a woman, and there doesn't seem to be any argument about the fact that she's a woman. So maybe at that time, because she was appointed by the Lord, they didn't question it, which is a good thing. And so the first thing that they describe her as is a prophet. And now a prophet is someone who hears from God. So she's obviously in... um, a good relationship with God. She's in community with Him. She's talking to Him constantly because when we we know what people are thinking, it's because we know that person. And so, um, I imagine that she had a very good relationship with the Lord, and He spoke clearly to her, and she was able to pass on the message. So, prophets in those days were usually used. God had a message. The prophet spoke them out, and then, you know, uh, the people were supposed to act on that. And this is actually no exception. She's also a judge. She's not a judge in a courtroom, but she is there to help people do, uh, settle their disputes. They will bring problems of governance and whatever to her, and it would be her job to sort them out. So I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about her and her relationship with God, and I was trying to think have I got that kind of relationship with God? Where are we at? You know, where are we there? Do we hear God's voice? It's not always easy and uh, most of the time I would say in my own life I probably need to tune myself out more so that I can actually hear him speak because I believe that he's with us all the time and he's probably talking to us all the time but actually for someone like me I don't stop talking long enough to sit back and listen and hear what he's got to say I wonder if you can relate to that It can be very difficult to find the time to carve out, to spend with God. You know, a way of finding out his heart and his character is to read his word and to meditate on it and to be still and to listen and to learn. But I think the thing we can learn there. So we go on a bit further onto the story. We're going to verses 5 to 10. So she held court under the palm of Deborah, which was obviously named after her, between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. Barak said to her, If you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking, the honour will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went... With Barak to Kadesh, and there Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and ten thousand men went up under his command. Deborah also went with them, so Deborah has this really bold statement from god it 's a command: "Get up and go, go to this place, and I will give you your enemy into your hands." and I think that probably takes quite a lot of courage to stand up and say, "Come on let 's do this," and also being a woman trying to rally. 10,000 or so men is quite something. So I think she must have been quite a strong character. She certainly would have been a good leader. And because she was appointed by God, she would have hopefully been respected for that position alone. So I I wonder what Barak thought. Well, to be honest, we can tell what he thought. Because he said, oh, I'll go, okay, but only if you go with me. So I think he had a moment of cowardice maybe or... Maybe he didn't think he had the authority for it. I don't know. But anyway, she, was, she replied with, oh, okay, if you, you know, I will go with you. Um, but the Lord's very clear about what he wants them to do. And he's got this plan. And she's bold enough to say, come on, let's do this. And somehow she manages to inspire them to get going. And so she's got a lot of courage. And she's got a lot of faith in what God has said to her. She's trusting that what God has said, he's going to bring about. So they gather the troops and they head off to Mount Table. Now, in terms of geography, I don't know my geography particularly well in that area of the land, but if you're going up a mountain, the Lord's saying he'll give give the enemy into the hands at the river. So I guess they've gone up the mountain to wait and see what happens before they start the attack. And um, so off they go, and they're going with the knowledge that actually... Barak knows it's not going to be his honour that wins this victory, but it will be in the hands of a woman. And I think probably at that moment, he assumes it's going to be Deborah because she has gone with him. So I think think it's perfectly normal for us to be a bit unsure. If God gives us a very clear directive, if it feels too big for us, we perhaps might think, I can't do it on my own. And um, even me this morning actually standing up and Dawn championing me for my trip is because I, um, you know, I don't know, I feel a bit awkward about it. Um, It's a really good thing to do, and I'm convinced it's the right thing to do, but I still feel awkward. So I I can appreciate, you know, I can understand what Barak says. But anyway, the Lord is good to us. Even in our insecurities and our weaknesses, he finds a way, and he will still bring his plan about. I think this is the thing. God isn't put off by our inadequacies. He's factored them all in already. I mean that's the really good thing, isn't it? Is that he knows um, he knows what we like and he'll still command us to do something. And even if we wobble and go, no I can't do it, he finds a way for us to actually get on with it. So we are you know eternally grateful for his goodness. Anyway, chapter four we're going to the next one please Paul. So <clears throat> We're taking a bit of a side story here. So Heba the Kenite had left the other Kenites, the descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother in law, and pitched his tent near the great tree in Zenonim near Kidesh. These names are great, aren't they? You need to put your teeth in. Anyway, so when they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abonim, had gone up to Mount Tabar, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hagoyim, to the Kishon river, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword, and Sisera got down from his chariot and he fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heba the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heba the Kenite. So, at this point, the Barak and Deborah are waiting for their moment. And Deborah suddenly declares that it's time. Today's the day we're going to get up, we're going to do this. So she encourages him and he rallies the troops and they go down the mountain, presumably towards the river, to go and meet the Canaanites in their battle. And as Barak advances here, it says that the Lord rooted Sisera and his armies. I think it's interesting, I think... um, the army of sisera we've heard it twice now, that they had 900 chariots fortified with iron. So they were a proper military force to be reckoned with. They, would have, they had the armor, they had the kit, they had all of it. Whereas I think the fact that Deborah said, let's rally 10,000 men from ten, uh, two tribes, that Israel didn't yet have a formal military army. It just gathered men who were willing to fight. Possibly a little bit like, dare I say it, you know, the force of Russia versus Ukraine right now. You know, they've ordered their men to stay behind and fight whether they've got training or not. And it's probably a similar situation to take on that force. But anyway, um, so so Cicera's army get wind of this and they go to meet them and then they meet in this battle. And the same words that they, this rooted word is... The, the word in Hebrew, I don't know what that word is because it didn't say, but I, um, it's the same word that's used when the Red Sea is parted and the Israelites go through and there's this following of Egyptian. It's that same sort of panic and, and um, drama. That's the same sort of word at this point. So there's this big battle that's going on and somehow um, Sisera's army are being killed by the sword and the Lord's hand is clearly at work here. You know, so Deborah's obviously been in clear communication with God still. She's still listening for his voice because she suddenly says to Barak before he goes, get up, go now, this is the day. And I can imagine him going, really, are you sure? You know, can we not wait a bit longer? But the, the first that really struck me in this little bit of passage, the Lord has gone before him. She says, has not the Lord gone before us? She knows that God is there already you know, he's in the past, he's behind us, he's in the future. And so we have to really trust God, you know, God has always gone before us, God is outside of time. And so wherever we're heading, whatever we're doing, God will be there and have be seeing what's going on in front of us. And he'll be paving the way for us to get there. And really, if we really absorbed what that meant, we would probably all relax a bit more and just chill out and trust him. But I for one, Hands up. I don't do that. I know he's there already, but I still think I'm in control, which is, you know, quite hilarious, really, because I'm not. There we go. So I think, are we trusting God enough? It's a question to ask ourselves. And I'm a fine one to talk. This morning started... I was really quite agitated when I got to church this morning because I wasn't quite sure how my talk was going to come out. I had all this stuff with the fundraising going on, this stuff at home. And I just got here, and I just thought, ugh. And then... You know, what am I speaking on? Bold faith, taking courage, trusting in God. It's like, I think God wanted me to do this talk, A, to teach me a lesson before anybody else here. So I'm speaking to myself as much as you this morning. And I do feel a bit calmer now. I just like to point that out. God's good. God's good. But is there something in our life that we're praying for breakthrough in? You know, is there something that we're feeling like we're coming up against a brick wall, I'm going to share a story with you, I've asked the lady, she's my friend, I asked her for permission to share her testimony today, and um, it's just, it is a simple story of bold faith in this day and age, um, and it's ongoing, so I'd like to tell you the conclusion for this, but I can't, so just bear with me. So two years ago, a really good friend of mine, uh, she's got a mortgage, she's got a flat, she's got, you know, got everything that she wants at the moment, um, and was quite enjoying herself and then she felt the Lord say I've got more for you there's something I want you to do and she felt that God was drawing her towards a life of more ministry but she didn't know what that looked like so she started praying about it and then a year ago uh, she felt that God was saying to her I want you to give up your job And she was like, okay, what next then? And he said, no, 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 I just, I want you to follow my lead. I want you to give up my job. Now, in the eyes of the world, in this climate, that's madness, inhumanness. It's madness to give up your job right now, especially if it's a good job and it's paying a regular salary. But she has prayed about it and prayed about it, and she has chosen to follow God's leading on this one, and she has handed in her notice and is working out her notice period And as the weeks are going on, she still doesn't know what's going to happen next. But she is trusting blindly, or not completely blindly because she knows God's in control, but she is trusting that he will reveal what his next plan is for her. But actually waiting on God's timing can be really, really difficult. I'm not going to pretend to you that it's a bed of roses and it's all, you know, you do this and this will happen. Because actually in the waiting is when God grows us the most sometimes because we have to be fully dependent on him. And that's where she's at at the moment. She doesn't know what's coming next. She doesn't know uh, yeah, what God's going to bring her, but she knows there's something. So she knows the kind of end result. She doesn't know what that looks like, but she's kind of got to get there. So, you know, pray for my friend that he reveals his plan soon because I think she's, you know, she's wobbling about it. But equally, she's solid faith. She knows that God will have something for her. So as we come into uh, the end here, the last few verses of this chapter, it says that Jael went out to... Now you need to brace yourself for this because if you don't know this story, it's a bit grim. I'm just giving you a heads up. So Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. So she opened a skin of milk gave him a drink and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he said, and if someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died. It's grim. Just then, Barak came in, came by in pursuit of Sisera, and Jael, went out to meet him come she says I will show you the man you're looking for you she he so he went in with her and there lay Sisera on the with the tent through his head on the floor dead on that day God subdued Jabin king of Canaan before the Israelites so this story has taken rather a dramatic turn So has fled from the battle because he can see he's losing. He seeks refuge in somebody he knows that he's got an alliance with. He thinks he's coming to a safe place. He's welcomed. He's offered good hospitality because she's given him milk and not water. She seems to be on his side. I don't know what possessed her to do it. Maybe she heard from the Lord. Maybe she knew what was going on. There must have been rumblings within the Israelite community of what was going on. But for some reason, she decided that that was the best course of action. Not entirely sure that that's how God intended it to be, but that, you know, his plan was to, you know, dispel the evil and to um, get rid of those who were against him. And so that's how it happened. I'm not suggesting any of us take that course of action ever, you know. One, it's illegal. Two, it's grim. It's just not morally right. But in those times, I don't know. And when I think about it I can't make any sense of it really but it was obviously what happened and the objective was met that Caesarea was defeated and because Caesarea was defeated then King Jabin lost his kind of stronghold the army from the Israelites came in and they defeated them. And then the so chapter five of Judges is this song that is written about Deborah. She's written it maybe about the celebration of the victory of the battle. And right at the very end of the chapter, the last sentence said, "Then the land had peace for forty years." So the Lord came through for them. He brought peace to that nation. You know the Israelites could settle. They were no longer oppressed for that whole generation of forty years. So god's in it you know however grim it might be and you know we're in a we're in a constant battle as well aren't we we might not be able to see the battle but it's there and the really great thing about our battle is that we know that it's already been won don't we you know jesus has won the victory with his death and resurrection any kind of spiritual battle is it might be happening but we know that it's not going to take us over we know that god has won the day So I think the things that we can learn from Deborah and Jael is to be women of bold faith. You know, if God's asking us to do something, let's have courage and go ahead and and go for it. You know, we know that he's gone before us, so let's trust in what he wants us to do. These are all easy things to say as I stand here. They're just rolling off my tongue. I am well aware that the reality is so much more difficult. But then if it was that easy, would it be that worth doing? God wants to walk with us. He wants to be by our sides. He wants to be, uh, he wants relationship with us. He wants to talk to us. He wants us to pray to him. To come with all, all things, whether they are small in our eyes or great big stumbling blocks that we can't get through. He's there. He's in it. He knows. He knows the way through, and he wants us to lean on him. So I think, you know, I would encourage us all to take an extra step of faith, to be bold, to be um, reliant on him. You know, let's try and carve out more time. Let's try and, I know it's difficult, life is very busy, but grabbing an extra five minutes with him. Maybe just sitting and being quiet while having a cup of tea, if that's even possible. I don't know, some lives are just, it's not But let's try and get to know our God because our confidence comes, you know, we know we're in relationship with people. We have um, good friends and we know our friends. And so we know our friends because we talk to them and spend time to them. So why wouldn't we want to do that with, you know, God, our Heavenly Father who loves us so much. So may I encourage us ladies today to be a bit bolder, a bit more courageous and a bit more trusting. Thank you, you're very kind. So, <clears throat> it's time now to go into our small groups. I'm sorry, I've perhaps gone on a little bit longer than I intended. But there we go, the Lord spoke. So, uh, if you know which group you're going to go in, brilliant, off you go. Um, just to say that uh, Julia Essex's group is now here at the ascent and Sarah's is now at the back. And... Um, Yeah. Otherwise, if you're new, please come to the side chapel on my left here and we'll go from there. Uh, There are sheets of questions and if you're not sure what you're doing, come and find me.